Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Ho 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 ho! Who's that? Santa? No. The Jolly Green Giant from the Sweet Corn adverts. No. Will Duggan. Yes. Welcome, dear friends, to the National Treasures podcast, hosted by me, Will Duggan, and you. Laura Lex. Welcome, everyone. Um, you join us during our Woolerton Hall series of episodes a couple of years ago. Well, no, a couple of weeks, probably, actually, to be fair. Laura and I went to Woolerton Hall in Nottinghamshire, sent by the wonderful actor, comedian, friend, Colin Holt. We had a great time, didn't we, Laura? We bloomin' did, sir. And then we had a really nice chat with Colin about why he loves Woolerton Hall. And we had another yep. great time again, didn't we, Laura? And I got another lovely I got a lovely text from Ron of Ron's Years Fame over on the Years and Years in the Patreon, uh, saying how nice a man he thought Colin Holt sounded. Yes. So he really um, is. And I had to agree. I was like, I don't even think he just sounds like a nice man. I think he is a nice man. I and I hope that you guys listening much. felt the same. Um, but then we passed over to you, the you, the listener. Well, I shouldn't really say that, because that is A, a quote from Alan Partridge. It's also a quote from Ellis James and John Robbins. I'm just plagiarising from two sources there by saying that. <laughs> you, the you, the listener. But there we go. Um, we opened up the floor for you to vote on the things that you were interested in. And you've come back. And Laura is going to tell us all about the first one, which today, Laura, is... <laughs> well, you bastards chose orangeries. Yeah, I love orangeries. Sure, yeah. Um, it's going to be so easy to fill 40 minutes of content about orangeries, I think. Well, I th- huh? I'll kick us off, Laura. No problem at all. My friends Tom and Sarah, shout out Tom and Sarah, they listen to the podcast. They Hi, live, Tom and Sarah. They live in Manchester. I think you've been to their house. Oh, yeah. I like their children. I played Minecraft with them. Those, though their children are lovely. They have a conservatory at the back of their house that Sarah calls the Orangery. Ooh. Well, interestingly, um, at one point today, I will explain the difference between a conservatory and an Orangery. So next time you're there, you can tell Sarah which one she has. Can I guess? You may, sir. Do you grow oranges in one and not the other? <laughs> Kind of, but there was a structural difference too, I believe. But listen, Will Duggan, Willie Duggs, Willie Duggy, hey, Willie Duggy, um, it would be woof, woof. a miss of us to 
jump straight into what's an orangery Ooh. when I would wager that 99% of our listeners are thinking, what's an orange? It's one of those episodes. <laughs> Very rarely do we release one of these episodes not behind the paywall. Well... So for, 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 for non-patrons, um, you, you should join, by the way, patreon.com forward slash national treasures. We do a weekly podcast for our patrons where we do deep dives on a year. We've released a few behind, uh, you know, for, for the general consumption. And sometimes when we're talking about a year, nothing has happened in that year. <laughs> um, and we had to pad. And now we're doing that for general consumption. <laughs> so listen, an orange is a fruit of various citrus species in the family Rutaceae mm-hmm, pronunciation. Um, it, <laughs> um, it re- reproduces asexually. Okay, not sure. unlike Will Duggan. Oh, no, that's not fair. <laughs> um, and it's a hybrid between pomelo, citrus maxima, and mandarin. Citrus reticulata. That's what, I, enjoy, I think if you'd have asked me, I'd have guessed those two. Yeah, and I'm sure, I don't need to tell you, Will, that the chloroplast genome and therefore the maternal line is that of the pomelo and that the sweet orange has had its full genome sequenced. Well, thank God, because I often look at an orange and I think you're tasty, you're a bit tangy, you go well with savoury stuff, you go well with sweet stuff, but have you had your genome sequenced? And now mm-hmm. that the answer is yes, I'm a very happy boy. Yeah, and so you should be. Do you know which country in the world produces the most oranges? Yes. Oh, could you? you tell me? Uh, no, no, I thank you. I, I, it's your episode. I wouldn't want to steal your thunder. Uh, go on, you, you tell the listener. I'll give you this one. Spain. It's not Spain, I'm sorry. It's Brazil. That was my second guess, actually. Um, oh, yes, because Spain produced the most Brazil nuts. Do they? I don't know. Oh. And Brazil produced the most Spanish flags. So there you go. That's a little bit about what we're growing in our orangeries. I also find orangery exceptionally hard to say. It's too soft in the middle. There's no, like, hard boom. Yeah, you have to really roll your jaw around it. Orangeries. Um, Great for a ventriloquist, though. Orangery. Yeah. Orangery. Orangery. Only if you were Northern Irish, I think. Orangery. Orangery. Uh, Orangery. Nina Conti, if you're listening, you can have that. Orangery, not too hard. (laughs) So, um, orangeries as we're talking about them today, um, it's going to be a very Europe-centric episode because from the research I've done, orangeries seem to have been a European thing. Um, because come the point where Europeans were off, and I'm using quotation marks here, discovering more tropical climates, they were also discovering all this delicious fruit and wanting to bring it home and then getting it home. And it was either dying en route or dying as soon as people got home. Because of the climate. um, Yeah, it's just not warm enough to grow oranges and, and citrus fruits and stuff. But obviously it was a bit of a status symbol to be able to grow oranges. And, and things like that, and to show off that you could import these things for yourself. So they started to build little buildings where they could um, make their fanciness. Can I tell you something fascinating I learned about status symbols the other day? Yes. So you know like the commercial 
idealised beauty standard in the world we live in. It's musculature, it's tanning, it's all that kind of thing. Uh-huh. That's only very recent. Like, I, only, I learned mm-hmm. that, like, if you were basically flabby and pale, that was, like, sexy in the past. Because it meant you didn't yeah. have to go in the fields and work, so you weren't tanned. And you ha- could afford nice food, so you were plump. Yep, that's why all like paintings and stuff t- tend to be of like softer bodies and very pale skin. It was a real mark of um, attraction in, let's say, Tudor times. Um, Tudor? To- Tudor. Tudor? You know, the Tudor time. Yo, dude. <laughs> dude. It, what eon is this, dude? It's totally Tudor. Yeah, you gotta get permission from King Dude. I watched um, the third Bill and Ted film the other day. Not bad. Not great. Yeah. Not bad. Carry on. They'd be pleased to hear that, I think. Um, it was a sign of um, sexiness to see the little veins through your skin because your skin was so pale. You know, like on the inside of your wrist, you can see that little crossroads. I don't And like some people get wrist. it in their cheeks and foreheads and stuff. You can just see little veins. So people used to paint them on. Wow. You'd pluck your hairline back so that it looked like you had a higher forehead and then paint on little blue veins. So sorry, if you had a high forehead, plump and were pale, you were fit. I would have Mate. absolutely cleaned <laughs> up. You would have been shagging every step you took. Wow. Am I? Yeah. I am a man out of time. But you've got a hot, sexy fiance and a oh, happy, yeah, nice life much, in this time. I think. <laughs> yeah. Well, as well as being the living embodiment of Will Duggan, um, it was also very cool to have an orangery. So they started to develop um, between sort of the 1600s. Um, up to the 19th century, which I wish I hadn't said it that way because I've now confused myself epically. Yeah, that was... That was I've, I've mixed up the thick. two ways you do the real numbers thick. there. <laughs> From the 17th to the 19th century or the 1600s <laughs> to the 1800s. There Let you me go. tell you why that was thick, Laura. One, it confused you. And B, it confused me. Yeah. The listener was probably fine, though. <laughs> You're not not, not going to laugh at one and B? One and B? I didn't notice it. I'm sorry, I was taking on your criticism. That was such a good joke as well. One of the best one I've made on this podcast for several months. And you was like, yeah, that's fair. We are thick. Okay, hang on a minute. (laughs) Oh my goodness, one and B. Oh, Will, you high-foreheaded man. Let me tell you what you've done there, just annoyed me. I'll edit. No, I'll edit that so that nobody knows about the bit in the middle. (laughs) A, Laura got it wrong. And two, she doesn't respect you. I've done it again and you've missed it. You said one, Laura got it wrong, and two, she doesn't respect you. I said you. A, Laura, Laura got it wrong. Oh. Uh, I think maybe I just don't mind when people mix those up. doesn't matter to me. <laughs> wow. Right, so anyway... Um, this is when orangeries start to develop. If you're a first-time listener and you're not having a good time, stop now. It doesn't get different, okay? I'm not saying it doesn't get better. It's loads of fun. Hey, don't criticise us. We're making a nice podcast, but Can't this is the podcast. I you've just told people to turn off the podcast. I'm just saying if you're a first-time listener and you're going, where's my hard, solid orangery content? This is a bit chatty. Yeah, it is. Okay. Start loving it. It's a hell of a marketing ploy, isn't it? (laughs) 
Listen, it's a glass building you grow oranges in. Now, we're going to enjoy ourselves for the next 30 minutes or so, all right? <laughs> if you want facts, read fucking Wikipedia. It's a fancy word for greenhouse. We all knew this going in. <laughs> well, actually, though, I think orangery came first before greenhouse. Sure. I'm not saying it's the original word for greenhouse, but certainly if someone said to me, like for my friend Sarah, come and see my greenhouse, I'd think, great. But if she says, which she does, shall we sit in the orangery? I think, who do you think you are? Mm. Well, well, they sort of developed. So walled gardens had been a thing for quite a long time. Like, and some of them still exist. I'm thinking of a gig I did in Surrey or something like that, or North Sussex or something in a walled garden. Um, And walled gardens were great for slightly increasing garden temperature or protecting things that were a bit delicate. So that kind of technology was already around. And then come the 17th century, oranges um, started arriving in Europe uh, and so did pomegranates and bananas. Okay. So they're really starting to want to be able to protect even more exotic fruit. Um. And they kind of realised that making glass houses was a, a good thing for doing that. But glass was super expensive. So it was a bit of a status symbol to be able to afford glass. I suppose around that time as well is when you've got the, is it the window tax? When people used to get like taxed because if you could afford glass, you could afford. Are you okay? Yeah, um, I, I think maybe that was a little bit later. Okay. Because from... The research I've done here, it sounds like glass was, like the production of glass was changing rapidly at this point as well. But maybe, I don't know how common it would have been on the average person's house yet. Even on stately homes and stuff, I think the windows were still relatively small. And then there's kind of that like causation thing of... People want to be able to have orangeries, um, so there's demand for it, so the technology gets explored more, so that explodes, so then people can, if you know what I mean. You You know, that kind of all happens at once. Supply, demand, innovation. Yeah. So they probably, orangeries, started in Italy. um, Because both the Renaissance and glass technology were kicking off massively there, that is likely where the first decent ones of these started to get built. Um, and obviously, they've got a relatively decent climate compared to the UK. They're yeah. like on Lots fire. Of oranges are a really famous thing, aren't they? Yeah, and lemons too, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. So in there is a recorded orangery built as early as 1545 in Padua. That's, that is actually genuinely a lot longer ago than I I know you said the 16th century but 1545 is a long time ago Mm, yeah um so early orangeries didn't have glass roofs okay so early orangeries were more like brick buildings south facing with as big a window as possible so that's where they're kind of different to a greenhouse is greenhouses became more like glass roofs different like kind of trying to make the whole thing out of glass whereas an orangery was kind of your your shed with big windows <laughs> or not a shed because some of these as we'll see later on are insanely cool um 
but yeah so you look they didn't have glass roofs like imagine more of a like big fancy building with as big a windows as they could manage at the time that's what we're talking about here rather than a fully glass building but insulation was a big issue because obviously when we're talking glass we're not talking the kind of glass that we've got now um so they they used they had a lot of straw around to keep the heat in which I think is quite fun, just having to like pile straw against the the walls and windows. And they had shutters as well that you could draw across the windows to keep the heat in, I suppose, probably overnight, I guess. You'd sort of let the heat build up all day. Yeah, you imagine, don't you? Well, well, I am. I literally am doing that right now. (laughs) So the difference, the big differences then between uh, Orangery and Conservatory is with the roof. I can, uh, and this sentence, I'm going to say it, Will, and then can you explain it to me? <laughs> I will do my level best, but I do think, <laughs> unless the answer is the roof is plastic, Laura hasn't, uh, Sarah hasn't got an orange roof. Um, yeah, okay. A conservatory will have more than 75% of its roof glazed, while an orangery will have less than 75% glazed. Oh, now I'm reading it back. Actually, that's very easy, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, very easy. I'm not going to do that. <laughs> I sat in bed doing this research last night, reading that like a fucking sphinx riddle, going, what? Yeah. That's just really obvious now. So 75%, Laura, also known as three quarters, um, and then glazed, (laughs) it probably means, not like a cake, like uh, glass. And basically, if it's got more than 75%, three quarters, uh, three and four, then it's one thing, but less, and less means not as much. Mm. Then it's the other. Okay. <laughs> do, do, do you so, get it? There you go. Well, so is is Sarah's orangery? Can you see through it? The it's, roof. Uh, yeah. Then it probably is a conservatory. Tom, Sarah, you must forgive me, but I must tell you that next time I come to your house, I shall still refer to the room as the orangery because you can call things what you want. But it's. Oh, you've it's, done an about turn. I'm fickle. I'm a fickle guy. <laughs> so that that's the main difference. Domestic orangeries also they have this thing called a roof lantern on the top. So like it's it's kind of like a tiny little tower window bit that you put on the top. You know, imagine like the sort of like little nub on the top of a building you could just put your head in and feel like you're wearing the building like an astronaut suit. Yeah, okay. Yeah, do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like little glass. So they'd have like a a slate roof or whatever and then they'd have a little roof lantern type thing that was glazed and then that would let some light in and down, you know, like lighting from above. Yeah. And it's hard to get it across, but this kind of lighting and letting this much light into rooms and, and stuff like that, this was groundbreaking. This was quite mind-blowing for a lot of people that you could walk into a room and it would be light in there without having any lanterns lit or candles sure. on. Because it just hadn't been happening before. That's so mad, isn't it? That you sort of take, like, obviously we say it's a long time ago. But you take that so for granted to the point now where if a room hasn't got natural light, it is such a negative. Yeah. Like, I, I lived in a flat in London before I lived here where the bathroom had such a tiny window that it was always dark in there and it used to annoy us no end 
But it's so weird that the shift has gone to that blowing your mind. Like, there's no natural light. What? Yeah. But then, like, even in this day and age, I remember the first flat I had in Brighton that had those big Brighton-y sash windows, and it was great, but then they were single-glazed and old, and so they were so cold in the winter that you couldn't sit anywhere near them. We had to get that shrink-wrap plastic in the end. Have you ever had that, where you put up, like, cellophane to just seal the whole window frame? No, but I might have to do that this winter because I have exactly those windows in my flat. Oh, that's what we got. So you you get it. It's it's kind of like cellophane, but you stick it up over it, and then you you put a hairdryer on it, and it vacuum seals it and sucks it. So you've got like it sealed your end. That's really good. I might talk to you about that. It feels slightly too boring to do. It on a is podcast. a little bit boring. Okay, for so... the listener, Laura and I are going to pick that up just in our lives. <laughs> <laughs> but we wouldn't even have those windows as shabby as they are without the introduction of sheet glass method of win- of glass making, Will Duggan. Okay. So that, that came to Britain and was sort of brought, brought here, created by the Chance Brothers in 1832. And that made possible the production of large sheets of cheap but strong glass. Mm-hmm. So you're starting to get into the mass production. Um, and that is how they they were able to have enough glass and affordable enough to build the Crystal Palace. Wow, great fact. Yeah. That was a perfect edit point here for me to ask you a question that you might know the answer to, and if you don't, we can edit it out, because it, it's yeah. really beyond the remit. How do you make glass? How do you do it? Do you know what? I actually know this, Will, from um, research for Lex Education. Oh, um, bloody hell! <laughs> Ah, ha, ha, ha. Glass is made of, so typically we'd say it's melting sand. What we actually mean by that is not like all the grit and muck that is normal sand that you're just seeing. It's silica, it's silica, which is silicon dioxide. And it melts at a really high temperature. I think it's like 1700 degrees C. And then, it, yeah, you melt it down and it goes clear because the reason silica is opaque is it's got lots of sides and it's tiny. But then when you melt it and it all melts together, you can see through it. And then it's a it's a funny one because when it cools, it doesn't go through a transition phase as other things would go through it. So it retains some of the properties of a liquid, even though it's becoming a solid. So it's it's to do with the atomic structure once it cools. It doesn't do it normally <laughs> um and then so when it cools it makes this um sort of brittle but but protective kind of thing i hated that why because it was so not laura lex i know it's because did you notice i couldn't even make eye contact with you as you explained it because i was like trying to remember so hard all the words that if you I'd had learned. if you had made eye contact with me you would have seen me <laughs> the stillest you've ever seen me genuinely <laughs> mouth open you're talking about silica and atomic structure and transitional yeah. periods in cooling i despised that like, oh i'm so sorry Thank oh, you I thought so I'd done much. really well. It was unbelievable. I've never been more proud of or attracted to you. <laughs> Thanks, mate. I also found out a cool thing when I was trying to learn that. 
the sand over here is um it's made of this mostly this silicon dioxide stuff which is quartz basically which is the most common rock on earth you probably know that being a rock boy um but Not you know really. how sand in the tropics is nicer it's like white and stuff yeah that's because that sand isn't largely made of rocks and stuff it's mostly made of crab shells and coral and sea detritus that's why it's softer and smaller it's not the same stuff that's excellent actually and did you know that i think it is dubai and the uae which obviously is in a desert and you can use sand for building materials i think it's dubai their their sand isn't good so they had to import sand for building oh no There we go. We're running out of sand, I believe. Now, here's another question about sand before we move on to orangeries. You know, Brighton Beach is yeah. pebbles. Will that eventually, millions of years from now, become sand? Mm. Yes, sure. If anybody's listening and um, could answer more... <laughs> concretely than <laughs> yes can you let us know um get us on socials <laughs> at treasures pod or email us nationaltreasurespodcast at gmail.com and all i need is you to be slightly more definite either way than yes ah <laughs> <laughs> uh, so do you know anything about crystal palace by the way uh it is a football team supported by Mark and Elliot Steele. Oh, is it? And um, Chloe Pets. Oh. It's it's not it's not an orangery, so I didn't do loads of research, but I had to read about it in order to find out it wasn't an orangery. But basically, Crystal Palace was built um to be to have a big um exhibition done in it. Um The Great Exhibition? Yeah, that was done in it. And then it got moved to Crystal Palace, to where the place Crystal Palace is now. They moved the whole thing, stuck it in Penge, and then it burned down in the 30s. I think it was the 30s, it might have been before Which that. has always blown my mind, because glass doesn't set on fire. No, but I guess if you burn everything inside it, the glass will shatter. Well, how hot's the fire? Because as far as I recall, it's about 1,700 degrees. Does well, that's where it that melts. Hot? Oh yeah, it could shatter, I suppose, yeah. They should have made it out of whatever they do for shatterproof rulers. Yeah. I guess also if the beams and things are heating, then the glass will fall off and break on the floor. Yes, but I don't want to be a Crystal Palace truther, but I don't mm. think that plant... What is it? You can't melt glass beams with jet leaves. I've never felt stupider than doing this episode of this podcast. I don't think we're coming across as smart people. You came across very smart when you told me how to make glass. I've come across, well, for the listener, um, it is Sunday the 16th of October. Laura and I planned to um, record this episode at 10am. And at 8 minutes past 10, Laura texts me, are you coming? And I woke up and went, ha 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 soon. So I'm not feeling very smart. <laughs> I'm feeling like I got out of bed 32 minutes ago. He feels just like he is. Do, 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 do. Um, anywho, Will. Yes, mate. Let's just say orangeries are now 
very popular to have. At sure. first, they're a big old status symbol. One, you can afford to import citrus plants. Two, you can afford glass. Three, you can afford to heat them because a lot of these things require their own central heating. Okay. Um, as glass becomes more available, um, they become more and more popular through as the glass is going down, the, the, the money going down. Um, now, a greenhouse started to develop the idea of a greenhouse and that was where you weren't having your citrus fruits but you were putting green plants in it that's why they're called greenhouses or conservatories because they were where you would bring plants into in the winter to conserve them absolutely so the original conservatories weren't like you sit around on a wicker chair they were oh get the fruit tree in such a good observation that Mm. wicker yeah. Wicked weird. chair with a cushion that you have to tie onto the leg. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, then pineapples and grapes started to get popular. There's a pineapple. There is a pineapple. Will's got a pineapple. There's a pineapple going mouldy in my fridge. It's my um, piggy bank. Is it? Yeah. Not the one in my fridge, the one Will's got. So as pineapples and grapes got popular, the requirements that you have to grow them changed. So pitched roofs started to develop and ways Mm -hmm. that you could have vines going around and then you needed height for the pineapples so the pitched roofs let more light in um and then you also needed much higher temperatures for those and you needed a longer season for grapes than the uk would provide um so this is where a lot more heating was introduced so you'd have hot air flues and they'd also pipe steam in and then hot water. And it's kind of the beginnings of central heating, really, was for rich people wanting to grow grapes. <laughs> Isn't that mad? The beginnings of something so necessary wasn't for people, it was for fruit. Yeah, but that sort of strikes me as a bad and right. The flushing toilet, of course, was invented so people's cats would be more comfortable. <laughs> yeah. Um... So, yes, right. Now, we're going to now go through five cool orangeries you could visit in the UK. Super. Um, And then we will, uh, patrons will be able to stick with us and find out all about the Louvre um, and how that was a groundbreaking orangery. We will say goodbye to our regular listeners there, but you are more than welcome to join our patron and listen to the extended versions of all the episodes we've ever done, including a weekly years and years and a live stream. Woohoo! Patreon.com forward slash national treasures. Five pounds a month. It's a pound a week. That's one pound twenty-five, I suppose, a week. No, it's not, because around four weeks in a month. You pretty much are. It's fifty-five pounds a y- it's sixty pounds a year. Yeah, it's not loads, is it? No, it's not. And we've really solved it. (laughs) Okay, so five cool orangeries that you can visit in the UK. First one, we've been there on an episode, William. Kew Gardens. Lovely Kew Gardens. We've been to the orangery. We have been to the RNG. Um, Will, I'll get you to please put pictures of these up on the Instagram throughout the week. Um, So the orangery at Kew Gardens was built in 1761. Um, So that's sort of smack bam in the middle of orangery 
Orangery days, I guess. Oh, it's the height of the orangery. Yeah, it's a pretty one. It it looks to me like um like I picture American buildings. It's very white and clean and straight, and it's got that like V-shaped roof. Um, it was designed by Sir William Chambers, who was a Swedish Scottish architect. Ooh. Yep. He also built Somerset House or designed Somerset oh, House. Oh, I like I Somerset House. Actually, do you know what? I don't think we did go in the orangery. I think we went in the Palm House. We did they go in the, the Palm House. The orangery at Kew Gardens is for fancy teas and things like that, and you can get married there if you're incredibly rich. We went past it. It wasn't open. Yeah, I think that that is true. Uh, oh, it's that... 28 by 10 metres, um, and... Uh, the whole thing was built in 1761, and then 80 years later, they admitted that it is too dark for growing citrus plants and stopped using it for that, and it's now a restaurant. We, um, that, that, I often think about Kew Gardens, because Kew Gardens was the last thing that you and I did together, and one of the last things I did at all, before the world went mad. Yeah, yeah, ugh, bad times. Um, so then, we've got Belton House... And the orangery for that one is is very cute, actually. I, I quite like the picture of this one. And the orangery for Belton House is in the Italian garden. Um, and they were both designed by Geoffrey Wyattville, early 19th century, so 1800, so later than Q there. Um, and it's kind of right near the church um, that they had. You know when all rich people had their own church? I don't know that, no. I don't Yeah, recall. you know, they always had like a chapel at the bottom of their fancy garden. Yeah. Do you know what? I'm going to say yes for ease of comfort, but I'd like the <laughs> listener to know that I, Will Duggan, do not think that there was ever a time when all rich people had their own church. Well, you are an idiot then, sir. Belton House is in Lincolnshire, in case you want to go and visit. It's near Grantham. Or let us know if you have visited. Um, that's a cool orangery you can go and see. Okay, the third orangery on my list is Ham House Orangery. This one... Good name, Ham um, House. Yes. Well, less exciting for me now I'm vegetarian, but still, you get excited and then you remember you can't eat it. Although, having said that, I had some veggie sausages yesterday um, that were just absolutely perfect for a toad in the hole. Wonderful. Shall we give them a free advert? Yeah, they were just Asda ones, Asda plant life or whatever, soya sausages. Um, and they like, I, I quite like other veggie sausages because I think the point of the sausage is to be quite shit. But these ones were squudgy rather than a bit dry crispy. They had that like fat pink wetness to them that you want. Nope, move on. Fat pink wetness, you've lost me. It's 5 to 11 on a Sunday morning. I'm going to go and poach some eggs in a minute. Don't fat pink wetness me. Well, you've been fat pink wetnessed now. So, um, yes, the uh, Orangery at Ham House, so this is in Surrey. This is one of the oldest orangeries in the country, if you're listening in England. Um, So it dates from the 1670s. And it's still surviving. You can still go to it. Um, It's not as impressive to look at as the other ones that have come later because you really are looking at a building. It just looks like a building 
It doesn't even look like it's got particularly big windows in it, but it gives you an idea. It has got like a long red brick wall, which I guess would have sucked in a bit of heat. And the, also the as you see the windows and doors now, it does say they would have had a little bit more glass in them to let light in. So um, they'd have been brought inside into there for the winter. So Ham House, if you want to go and see a super old orangery. Um, Powys Castle has a cool orangery. And the reason I put this one in the list is this one is very impressive. Like the orangery, it's kind of like part of the... Um, I don't know how to describe it, but it, it's like part of the terrace. Okay. <laughs> Sorry, I thought there was going to be more. It's like part of the terrace. Full stop. Yeah. How old is it, Laura? Oh, I don't know the answer to that. Um. <laughs> how have you been to Powers Castle, Laura? Hey, enable screen sharing so I can show you and then we can describe it together. It's really cool. It's like it's on, you can sort of walk on the top of the, the terrace kind of thing. So there we go. So I'm showing Will a picture now. And again, we'll put this on the Instagram. But the orangery is like, part of the terrace so you've got the garden in front of the orangery but then you can like walk up onto top of it and then the castle's behind it in the background i mean let's before we go into the orangery let's talk about this lovely little statue of this jaunty little man with his willy out yeah there is um a, a little nymph on a in a very cash pose just a little cloak over his shoulder um perfectly intact Nobed, knob. Nobed. <clears throat> yeah. Um, that is really interesting. You're right. It's got it's got a wall as well. This it's so in my head. I've been thinking as an orangery as a lot more glassy than it seems that they are. Do you know what I mean? So you like, just weren't listening when I described to you that no, they're not that glassy. Before we did this, you record. don't fucking listen to a word I've ever said, Will Duggan. Laura. Yeah. Should we calm down? No. Okay. Should we move on from Powers Castle? It's upset. That tone. It's upset you. It's pretty though, right? I don't know anymore. <laughs> so that's Powers Castle. That is Orangery number <laughs> four that you can visit in the UK. And now the final one we move on to is somewhere I've actually been. Oh wow! This is Quarry Bank Mill. I think you've been there, and I know comedian and friend of the podcast uh, Brennan Reese has also been there. I have. Brennan Reese has been there. You're right, he has. Yeah, I know he has. So Quarry Bank Mill is up sort of in the north, uh, north east, southwest, northwest. Um, uh, and the cool thing about the glass houses in Quarry Bank Mill is that they were quite revolutionary at the time. Um, so they made like a sort of curved glass house. Yeah, okay. Um, and it had this cast iron frame and they, yeah, they managed to sort of make it bend around, which they thought was the best thing for getting as much light in as possible. Okay. And it really changed the technology uh, as it was at the time. And they've done a big project lately to restore a lot of the glass house and bring it back and make it look how it would have looked at the time. That is really cool. And I've definitely been yeah. to Quarry Bank Mill. And so you'll have seen these glass houses and mm. that we should we should go and see them and they've like re 
judged them. They've rejudged them, and that to me is enough. <laughs> if you want to invite me somewhere and you give me even the slightest inkling that something has been rejudged, I'm there. Mm-hmm. Laura, so, that, that was fascinating. In parts, it was, wasn't it? So there, there, there's really five good. cool oranges you can visit. Great work. Um, well, thank you, Laura, for that. Um, I think the listeners have sort of done you a kipper by demanding that you do 45 minutes to an hour of content on what is essentially a glass room. But you have absolutely smashed it. Well done. Thank you. Next week, you'll be telling us all about taxidermy. Taxidermy. So if you're not a patron, you are leaving us now. Thank you so much for listening. We're very grateful that you choose our podcast. If you are interested in hearing about uh, the glass house at Versailles or the extra five animal pets that Victorians would have had from a couple of weeks ago or the extended chat with Colin Hall or the extended visit to Woolerton Hall you can give our Patreon a go Um, you get extended versions of every episode we've ever done you get an extra podcast every week uh, and you are also welcome to come to our live feed once a month um, and that is five pounds a month. So have and a think the Discord, if, if you might like that. Little, oh, and the Discord too. The yeah. little corner of the internet full of nice people. Yeah. Um, but if not, we totally understand, and we'll see you next week for a deep dive on taxidermy. Bye bye. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.